0: Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name is Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer, and I'm joined by...
1: Hello, my name is Joe Sage, and I'm a producer and mix engineer at Nevis Audio. How are you doing, mate?
0: I'm, um, I'm really well. Yeah,
1: there's, there's precious
0: little to say, isn't there? <laughs> Life is inside. I'm well. You're, you're... What's your What's your usual phrase? I can't remember. Indoors. Indoors. <laughs> Indoors. Why can I never remember?
1: <laughs> yeah, it feels a bit weird this week because we were just saying before we hit record that um I did my first virtual stag. Oh dear. Do or what do you call it call? I don't know because it was just <laughs> loads call. of people over Zoom. Um, and then I'm going to watch the wedding via Zoom tomorrow morning. Lovely. Feels very alien. But uh, yeah. yeah, by the time this goes out, they'll have uh, they'll be married. So I feel like I can do a shout out. This is a thing we can do. Go for it. Uh, so congratulations to Rob and Asher. Hooray! We need a Woo-hoo. little extra fanfare there. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Um
0: Are you going to be dressed up for
1: the... See, now that's the thing. I don't, I don't know, know. Because the way that the Zoom works is that they can't have cameras on. So everyone can watch them, but everyone who's watching can't have a camera so i'm really tempted to just watch it in a cardiff city kit
0: yeah something like
1: that yeah anyway (laughs) what are we going (laughs) to talk about today mate?
0: today we are talking about how to be a good studio guitarist slash bassist
1: cool so i'll kick things off similar to last week where we talked about drummers my first point is doing pre-production
0: yes pre-production is essential unless this is going to cover every instrument basically pre-production is is the thing you need you need to know what you're playing before you go into the studio
1: yeah i feel like pre-production tends to fall with the guitarists the most mm-hmm. from from experience from bands that i've talked with guitarists tend to be the preliminary songwriter yeah it's not always the case but i'd definitely say that they're the ones who are doing the majority of the songwriting who are doing the majority of the pre-production majority of the demoing so yeah having I think a, a good grounding in pre-production and demoing is a great way to become a better guitar player.
0: Yes and it doesn't cost a lot to get a demo rig so go forth and demo.
1: <laughs> yeah especially during lockdown at the moment there's a mm. lot of freebies going like I know Logic was free for 90 days at one stage um, yep. not too long ago Um you could get a cheaper more affordable interface and and off you go. There's plenty of uh amp simulations and all that to kind of get you started. But yeah, like Phil said, having a having a good grounding and knowing what you're going to do before you head into the studio is yeah, damn important. Yeah.
0: It's um It's a great tool once you have a demo that you can rehearse to your demo. So if you are thinking about going into the recording studio sometime after lockdown, then you could use this time to really hone your parts and hone your playing. So the one big, I would say, uh, (laughs) no-no for a guitarist is writing stuff that they can't play. Um, Mm. I would say don't go into the studio trying to record stuff that you're going to struggle to play because guitar does not edit all that well generally especially if it's very distorted
1: yeah i think another big aspect to it as well is it allows you to communicate ideas Mm. especially during lockdown so at the moment i'm doing a hell of a lot of remote pre-production so that's where bands send me demos and i can go okay cool well maybe this section could be expanded or Maybe we can uh, work on this bit or try it in a different key. And the more that you can do that before the studio and the more refined you can get your demo, the more time it allows you to have creatively in the studio.
0: Yeah, and you're going to have more fun in the studio as well. You're not trying to desperately work out which what the song structure will be. Um, you've already got that kind of written down and planned out.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of the time, we've said this before, is that a really beginner mistake to make when you're in a band is to just say, okay, well, we've written these two songs, these are the first two songs we've ever written, and we're going to take them into the studio. Whereas what I tend to say is, you know, and I'm saying it to bands that I'm working with in September or October, is they're sending me 10, 15, 20 demos. And a lot of pre-production is just deciding with your producer and your mm. bandmates what songs you're actually going to do. So this is why that demo stage is important. You don't want to be sitting on a gold mine or record the wrong song. Yes.
0: Now especially is a great time to write, 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 write. if you are thinking about doing an ep in the future and so it's just slightly off topic isn't it but if you are doing an ep in the future and you have say five songs written you want to do five songs write load more and see what sticks
1: yeah it speeds up the the recording process in quite Hmm. a few ways the obvious one that i can think of is it stops harmonic clashes So there's always an argument of saying, you know, well, this bit works better and that bit works better. You can't really tell until you get in the studio. But one thing a demo will definitely do is point out if someone's clashing. So it's maybe they're playing the wrong chord, but you might have played it for years together in a rehearsal room and live, and you've not realized that that part clashes. A demo is a great way of refining that out because Mm -hmm. any time that you can save on when it comes into the studio is super valuable yes and also as well building from what phil said earlier is knowing your parts like it sounds really really daft and i'm really lucky that i work with you know bands that are mega prepared and know their stuff if you don't know your parts it's gonna be a mighty awkward (laughs) mighty mighty awkward recording session and you hear horror stories of it all the time just go on youtube and find you know famous producers or whatever, they'll always talk about how, yeah, the guitarist or bassist came in and they didn't have a clue what they were doing. Mm. Avoid that situation at all costs.
0: And you'll, if you're not careful, start to make some enemies of the band. Because if you're the one spending all the time in the studio t- trying to get your parts right when you just don't know them, um and they say if everyone else in the band has spent time learning their parts, you're not going to be very popular.
1: Yeah. Don't be the weak link, I think mm. is a big element to it as well with the whole thing of doing demos is you're making other people's lives easier especially when it comes to tracking so if you are a drummer it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to record to if you've got a fully like double tracked demo where you've Mm. got rhythm and lead parts in and you you know where the stops are or if there's going to be any other creative flares. A nightmare situation would be if you are playing along to a guide guitar that isn't going to be the final guitar part and you add these flares or these fills that are very specific to that guide and then when the guitarist goes in and goes, oh, well, yeah, I was going to do this, <laughs> it no longer works with the drums. That That's something you want to iron out before you even set foot in a studio. Yes,
0: because as we as we've said, Time and time again, in the studio, time is money. Um, It's not a cheap place to be.
1: So moving forward into the actual stepping foot into the studio, Mm -hmm. a really pivotal part of that is communication with the producer, studio owner, or the engineer. We've discussed this last week in terms of drums, you know, you don't want to turn up to the studio as a drummer and go, where's my drum kit? And they go, there isn't one. That would be. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's probably more common than you'd think. Um, But the same goes for guitarists, really. Even whether that could be something as basic as some guitarists expect the studio to have a guitar that they can use. Mm. That might not be the case. The same for amps, especially with guitarists. There's some amps that are very specific. So if you play in a metal band and you turn up to the studio and they say, "Yeah, yeah, we've got amps. And you go, great, great, great turn up to the studio and that's an ac30 and a fender twin brilliant <laughs> you're in trouble
0: you might well put a rat pedal in front of it what, what, what? yeah <laughs> what more do you want eh? Uh, a, a messer <laughs> well there is that we, we all want a messer um I think, yeah, you've got to be very clear about what the studio has and if there is an extra cost to using some of that equipment. Go in knowing that information and then you can be fully prepared and equipped. If you are bringing in your own instrument, um, then make sure it is fully set up. (laughs) Please, please make sure it's fully set up. So that's, you know, the intonation especially, but also, you know, string height and all those things. Either... Work out how to do it yourself. There are loads and loads of videos and there's tools to do that. Or if you have a budget, please get a pro to set up your guitar slash guitars for you. Make sure you also have new strings and loads of spares, please.
1: Yeah, the professional setup thing is really important, Mm. I would say. If you've got money to be spending on professional studios and a producer and the whole shebang just just get it professionally set up you'd be really surprised i was really surprised um (laughs) at how much a really good uh really good luthier cost to set up my guitar as in i was surprised at how affordable it was so yeah and he did an amazing job and that guitar sounded great on all the recordings that we did so yeah it's it's a bit of a no-brainer for me personally please do um but
0: at the same time, if you have a really um affordable is the word I'm going to use, say guitar, and you know the studio has some really nice guitars, that could be a better option for you. So consider that before you kind of go down the I'm gonna get the setup route.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely nothing wrong with getting an affordable instrument set up professionally. That yeah sometimes I tend to find if you find something to say more in the affordable line, like a like a higher range Squire Telecaster or Strat with a great setup can be better than some Fender Americans, which is a controversial thing to say, but it's also a damn side cheaper as well. It's, um, it's true, though. <laughs> so, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't shy away from it. Either way, it's kind of tapping into the potential of your instrument that you might not know is there. Hmm
0: on a similar um vein uh if you have your favorite tube amp um it's a little thing make sure the tubes are working properly <laughs> if you've got damaged tubes or anything like that any of them have died just either don't bring it in or get that sorted out basically
1: yeah i think it's fair to say just kind of give everything an mot mm. so that even goes for you know checking your pedals. Pedal power supplies oh, yes. is massive. I can think off the top of my head, and I won't name and shame, 10 studios I've worked at where they'll charge you for batteries and not at the rate you can buy them in the shops. <laughs> so it's worth your while making sure you've got your pedal power supplies. Otherwise, it's going to be a pretty expensive mistake to make. Expensive all the time. <laughs> yeah, and it's the same goes for, you know, jack leads and power cables for your amps these things you need to either make sure you've got an abundance and spares or that you've communicated well with the studio and you understand that you're getting that and mm. for no extra cost or you're prepared to pay an extra cost to get it
0: go in eyes wide open for what's yeah. going to happen
1: it's similar with um with producers as well so as part of working with me because i am an absolute pedal fanatic I would say <laughs> 80% of the time I'm awake I'm working on music the other 20% I'm looking at pedals on eBay Casual. Um, I will basically send out a massive list of all my pedals and I go let me know which ones you want me to bring to the studio because <laughs> in the past I've said let me know which pedals you want and they go can you bring all of them? and I go I, I, I can't hire a skip like that's how much it would, it would
0: take serious times yeah Um, I just want to return very briefly to something I said earlier. Strings. (laughs) New strings. Now, Mm. I don't want to be prejudicial. Joe and I are bassists, so we can say this. (laughs) Bass players, old strings may feel nice. They don't sound as good as new strings, full stop.
1: 99% of the time. Oh, okay. If you're a flat wound player.
0: I'd say new flat wound strings sound better than anything.
1: I don't know. But then in saying that, Phil works predominantly in kind of like the rock and heavier genres, to which I would say 100% has to be round wound, which is a word I always struggle with, (laughs) and fresh and zingy and Mm -hmm. explosive sounding.
0: If you want a bright kind of, you know, a tacky kind of bass tone, which rock and metal is based on basically um you need new strings there is no way around that
1: yeah i think it's a tale as old as time as a bass player playing on strings older than the bass player themselves (laughs) and then them coming back in mixed revisions and going yeah I i just need that bass to cut through more yeah and you just go there there is no frequencies to push the frequencies do not exist
0: I I once mixed a bass exactly like that. Like it was, it was all sort of mud. Mm. (laughs) Um, and there was no high end and I was being asked to get more high end. And I was like, well, there's, there's nothing there. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what to do.
1: Yeah. So I think having spare strings, Mm. especially in say some of the heavier genres, or maybe not even in the heavier genres. If you're doing a few days of recording, I would change strings halfway through. Yeah. Um, And that also kind of leads me on to another point, is you're going to need multiple sets of strings because I recommend having options. Good point. So when it comes to, certainly in the genres that I work in, when it comes to the guitars that I'll bring for the guitarists, I will usually try and make sure there's a single coil, P90 and humbucker option. Because with guitars, there's so many variables and the same goes for, you know pedals and amplifiers the choices are endless so i think having those options and the ability to go oh yeah let's try something different having all those options is super useful
0: um it's also it's a tiny thing but it goes along with sort of strings and pedal power and that make sure you have spare picks that's a tiny Mm.
1: thing but that's going to snook you if you've only say brought one and you lose it we all know that plectrums enter a hole in time mm-hmm. where they cannot be forever found there's a parallel universe in which all of your plectrums currently are another thing i would say as well on the subject of kind of like having loads of options is do preliminary tone questing which is a really difficult phrase to say Preliminary, but i think having a good idea of the sounds that you want before you go in the mm. studio even if you haven't got the equipment and say you know you want this specific thing and you've communicated with the producer, then they're going to bring the equipment to kind of get that. Having those reference points and maybe sending them to your producer or engineer beforehand and kind of go, this is the sound we're looking for. Because if they don't have the gear, they can turn around and go, well, actually, you're going to need this pedal or Mm. you might need this type of guitar, which we don't have. Maybe we could rent it in for you. Maybe you need to rent it. Maybe you could buy it. The nightmare scenario would be to turn up on the day and go, yeah, we want uh, this big flangery guitar thing. And they go, right, how are you going to do that then?
0: I think uh, working out your tone is also very, very important to make sure it doesn't clash with other elements of the band. So if you have a keyboardist or say there are two guitarists, working out your tone so they actually complement each other and work together is a great idea. Even if you only, as Joe said, even even if you only kind of have a... A broad outline of what your tone is going to be make sure if you have two guitarists that your tones are complementary and not clashing
1: yeah clashing as well is something that's worth considering when it comes to demoing and arranging mm. so if you're the guitarist and you're maybe not the vocalist it's all good you coming up with all these big intricate guitar parts or guitar solos but if they then clash with the vocalist when you get in the studio it, it's not going to be a fun time for anyone involved. So I would say, again, having these demos that are well fleshed out and have I would also say have very basic mixes of as well, purely because that things like compression and EQ, and I'm talking the absolute basics. So I do it for the bands that I work with. When they come up with demos, I'll do a super quick five-minute mix. Because compression and EQ tends to bring out the gremlins. If you're not used to mixing, you might mix the bass really low. And then when you get in the studio, you realise once the producers worked on the song that all the bass parts now clash with all the guitar parts and all those kind of things. So yeah, I think demoing and pre-production is important for making sure you don't clash with anyone.
0: Mm. Hopefully you're getting in the idea that demoing and pre-production are really important. Mm. (laughs)
1: Really, really important. Yeah. And so moving it somewhat into once you're actually in the studio, yeah. as you said before, practicing your parts and being prepared to play them at different tempos and different keys as mm. well. I feel like is is something to master, especially if you want to get in kind of like the session world. Because they might just suddenly turn around and go, well, actually, you know, especially if you're tracking live, and they go, yeah, cool, can we just take that upper key? Or can we try this key change or whatever? If you're suddenly stumped, it's going to be a long old session for you. And then, as we were mentioning earlier, you don't want to be the weak link who struggles to play their parts in different keys or tempos.
0: Mm. Yes, you need to... um be prepared to adapt what you're doing to the situation um it reminds me of that that meme which is like adapt survive (laughs) sorry (laughs) anyway Um. Um, so yeah you've got to be prepared to really um know your parts inside out to the point where you could change the key and work it out and get there quite quickly
1: yeah and that adaptability as well i think is an important mindset to have so being able to take on advice mm. and constructive criticism from whether it be your engineers, your producers, or your other bandmates, I think is is something to really keep in mind. Like there's, there's nothing worse than someone being like overly precious about their parts. Yes. Um, so, you know, what might have sounded good live or in the rehearsal room might not sound good recorded. Maybe you had an idea that kind of ends up now clashing with other things that other people have put in during the production. So, you know, uh, you could have suddenly a keyboard part that the rest of the band decided to put in and it works really well. You might have to sacrifice part of a guitar lick or a bass fill mm. and keeping that openness and being prepared to Phil said, like adapt and survive <laughs> is, um, is, is a really useful trait to have as a guitarist or bass player.
0: I think, yeah, being willing to drop your favorite little kind of thing that you play in a song for the benefit of the greater song, the greater good, um, is a a good idea. Um, Hold your parts lightly so that if you need to drop them for the sake of a better overall piece of music, then
1: do it. Mm. For the greater good. For the greater good borderline becoming a cult (laughs) now speaking of the greater good this would be a good time to remind anyone who's listening to this podcast if you could please leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts we'd be really grateful because it helps new people find the podcast yes please so yeah whilst we were talking about the greater good (laughs) i feel like we can say it again because we're bass players union but don't be a bass tickler (laughs) I think it's one of the worst <laughs> traits you can have as a bass player. Dynamics are cool, but you need to actually play the instrument.
0: <laughs> See, you don't really come across this in in like heavier music to my experience because most bass players use a pick in sort of really like heavy metal and picks mm. tend to make you dig in a bit more. So I don't know, is this something that's more unique to your experience?
1: Maybe, but then even then I'd say with bass players who use a pick, I would say playing evenly yes is a massive thing. So, you know, there's traits of bass players where they play really hard on the downstrokes but really lightly on the upstrokes <laughs> and it just doesn't work. Um, so yeah, getting used to being consistent.
0: Yes. Don't be overly reliant on a compressor pedal to even out your playing. That's no. That's a big one.
1: I also think on the subject of bass players as well, some of the some bass tones, you know, are very straight up. So don't get me wrong, I am one of the biggest fanboys of a fender precision going into an ampeg. Yes please. That's that's me a happy person.
0: Tone for days.
1: But don't be afraid as bass players to explore a little more. I would say bass players tend to tone quest less in my experience, than guitar players. Yeah. So I would say don't be afraid to kind of do a bit of tone questing as well. And it might not be, you know, flanges and delays or whatever, unless you're in tool. (laughs) But kind of maybe look into EQ pedals, look into compressors, look into different types of drives, maybe look into different amps. There's nothing wrong with being a a, uh, plug-in-and-play bass player but I think having options similar to a guitarist is is something really useful if you've got other basses in your arsenal. So if you've got one with active pickups and you've got one with passive pickups, maybe you've got a jazz bass and a precision bass. Having those options, I don't think is it's something that's utilised enough hmm. by bass players. I tend to see bass players just bring in one bass. Yeah. And that brings with it an issue of, if something goes wrong with that bass, <laughs> you're, <stuck. laughs> you're a little bit screwed. Mm.
0: Don't be afraid to use guitar pedals in the bass. They uh, they can work very much. Oh, 100%. In the right location. Right location? Right place.
1: Mm. <laughs> oh, just thinking of a horror story that I heard, I'm going to suggest getting an actual plug-in tuner pedal rather than those... Um, I don't want to just name the brand because I know there's loads. Clip-on you know, the sn- tuner. The Snark plug-in, like the Snark uh, clip-on tuners. They're great for rehearsals and maybe live? I don't know. I've never trusted them. I hate them, them live. I hate them live. No. But, I mean, they look awful live yes. as well. Um. But yeah, just because I have heard on multiple occasions of people who have tracked albums worth of guitars using <gasps> those clip-on tuners... They've listened back a day later and they've gone, oh, it's chorusing because it's all out of tune. Ouch. So I would say, especially if you're doing all overdubs, use the same tuner pedal. Yes. Get like a Boss TU-3. Can't go wrong with that. I know others are available, even though we're not the BBC, but I'd I'd recommend a Boss TU-3. (laughs) Others are available,
0: but the Boss TU-3 is the pedal to get.
1: Yeah, because they're built like tanks and they're damn affordable it will last longer than you live yeah (laughs) which is what someone once told me about a watch that i bought oh great they went oh the the, you'll die before this battery does and i was like oh did the battery die thanks no no it still works but it it made me feel a bit weird about myself for a bit (laughs) mortality (laughs) yeah
0: um one thing i'd say that i have have seen and experienced if you are a guitarist who has never sort of recorded yourself before um i would caution you to say the sound of your amp when it is recorded is different to the sound of your amp in the room mm-hmm. uh, when you're stood next to the amp it's going to sound very different to when it's recorded because the recorded guitar is trying to do something. Um, usually, the producer or engineer is trying to make it sort of fit in the gap of the other instruments and make it work with the music. And that sometimes means it won't sound as big and massive as it does in the room. Don't be afraid of that, um, especially if you're working with an experienced producer. They know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I think it's that classic cliche, isn't it? It's my tone, man, but you know, <laughs> it's my it's my sound. I think if you're able to kind of go, well, maybe my 150-pound guitar through my 70-pound solid-state amp isn't as good as the Studio's Gibson 335 (laughs) and their original AC30 from 1964. Like It's the ability to kind of maybe go, I'll maybe just try some other options. And I think then it's pretty evident to see to see which is better it's cool to do a bit of tone question and have pride in your gear but i think having having the mindset to be able mm. to take a step back and go what's actually better for the record
0: are you telling me that an ac30 sounds better than a line six spider are you seriously telling me that can't believe it. yes i am wow
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah all you need to do is go on some forums and well, apparently I'm all wrong, because The Lights Spider is apparently one of the greatest amps ever made, it is according one to of some the,
0: people. one of the greatest amps in the world. Every
1: studio should have one. I think they should all be confined to hell. But anyway. <laughs> um, so on that note, shall we move on to this week's Band of the Week? Yes, please. So this week's Band of the Week is uh, a special one to me, because it's something that I've mixed. Oh. So uh, I've been working closely with this band, you know, we've been in communication for about eight months now, so they've recorded all the elements themselves, which I think is really awesome for how amazing I think the the tracks turned out. Um, if you like to find out more once you've heard the track, you can find Beefy Wink, which is the name of the band, um, on at Beefy Wink on Instagram and Facebook, and this is single feel me will be available uh, on the 12th of june which will be in the past by the time this goes out Ooh. on all your regular streaming services so yeah here's beefy wink with feel me so until next time it's goodbye from me
0: and goodbye from me